Who was the real conservative in the Republican debate this week? We'll ask Dr. Richard Land. He was there. And we'll have the latest on the hostage crisis at a Hillary Clinton campaign headquarters and the Sudan teacher sentenced to prison for naming a teddy bear Muhammad. Plus, a pro-life hero, Congressman Henry Hyde, died yesterday. We'll look at his legacy. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. I think abortion is an evil thing because it kills a human life, an innocent human life. Why is it helping a young girl by assisting her to kill her unborn child? Well, he's been called a champion for the pre-born, and that is 32-year Illinois Congressman Henry Hyde. There he was arguing in 1998 for parental notification uh, for uh, young girls considering abortion. And uh, he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, and uh, talking about, in that speech, the law to outlaw taking a minor across state lines for an abortion to get around those parental notification laws. Henry Hyde uh, was a champion of human life. He was a defender of freedom. He was a national security, uh, really, hawk, uh, chairman of the Senate for a uh, House Foreign Relations Committee, House Judiciary Committee. And uh, three weeks ago, President Bush bestowed upon him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. You're going to understand why a little bit later in the program as we continue to talk about him. And also, uh, how'd you like to go and uh, volunteer at a presidential campaign headquarters office and end up being taken hostage. That's what happened to uh, some people today in Rochester, New Hampshire, uh, Hampshire, at Hillary Clinton's headquarters. We've been trying to keep up with this story. We don't have all the news. We know some of the hostages have been released. Either three or four were taken. There may still be one in custody. We continue to follow the news reports, and you can stay tuned uh, if you're listening on KCBI to the news, and uh, they'll try to keep you up on it as they get the story. But this is a historic hostage uh, taking at a campaign headquarters. I don't know that this has actually happened before. Uh, They have actually closed the uh, Clinton campaign headquarters in all of Iowa, and uh, the Obama and Edwards campaigns have closed their offices in uh, Rochester, New Hampshire. Everybody a little bit skittish about this. Hillary Clinton was supposed to speak in Vienna, Virginia today before the Democratic National Committee. Here's uh, DNC Chairman Howard Dean announcing from the podium at this gathering this hostage situation and the fact that Hillary would not be there. Unfortunately, as some of you know, there is a hostage situation in New Hampshire involving a Clinton campaign staff person. 
again, we don't know how many people uh, actually were taken hostage. We think it may be four people. Three have been released, one of those a child. And uh, we do not know whether there are any more people being held hostage. An armed man actually took the hostages. He said he had a bomb strapped to him, and uh, that is still... Uh, up for grabs or waiting for the news on that. Fox News is also following uh, the situation and the law enforcement team there. But Howard Dean told the group at the DNC that Hillary Clinton had to cancel her speech. Understandably, Senator Clinton is now dealing with his very difficult problem, and she is not going to be able to join us today. A little bit later, we're going to talk about this absurd situation uh, with regard to the blasphemous teddy bear in the Sudan and the teacher who is actually uh, in prison right now for 15 days for allowing seven-year-olds to name the teddy bear Muhammad. Frank Gaffney will join us to talk about that. But right now, we have with us Dr. Richard Land. Uh, Dr. Land, of course, is uh, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he has uh, programs on KCBI uh, every day, weekdays, for Faith and Family at noon, and also Richard Land Live at 11 o'clock on Saturdays. I always look forward to that program. And Dr. Land, I understand you were at the debate uh, in Florida. How was it? Well, it was exciting. Um, It's the first time I've ever been able to go to a presidential debate, and um, I must say that it goes by much faster when you're in the hall than when you're watching it on television. Well, I have a lot to ask you about it, Dr. Land, but I think first off I want to uh, know if you've heard who Rush Limbaugh thinks is the only conservative at that debate. Yes, I heard that. Um, I didn't hear him say it, but I was uh, told today that he evidently said, um, I guess yesterday on his program, that um, there were three people on the stage who had actually governed uh, Governor Huckabee, Governor Romney, and Mayor Giuliani, and they had all governed as moderates, and that the only true conservative on the stage was Fred Thompson. Well, Dr. Landa, Fred Thompson has come out with some really substantive proposals lately, and I've been impressed, for instance, with his economic plan, his uh, plan for a flat tax, Social Security, and uh, his immigration plan, and all this is is out there. It's getting uh, some detail to it, but you don't see much of it in the media. It's very interesting. Do you have any ideas why? Uh, I don't. Um, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal has been covering it pretty much. I mean, they had a great editorial when you came out with this tax proposal entitled um, uh, Flat Tax Fred, and, uh, which I thought was really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's gotten some traction in National Review and other places for some of his proposals on Social Security and um, his proposals for increasing the size of the military substantively. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I, one wonders if um, the media uh, might fear him as the most substantive general election candidate, and so they are trying to ignore him. Um, in the in the process up to the nomination. Well, the reason I ask you this is because of the format of uh, of the YouTube debate, which is really what I want your opinion on. Because I found that uh, some of the questions were a little out there, and of course, uh, it was all the videos that uh, people sent in, and we're finding out now that some of them actually came from people associated with various campaigns, but. I would see that, uh, you know, a question would, uh, a video would be shown on the screen, and then it would be thrown to maybe one person or two people. So in a sense, you didn't get a real deep understanding of how all the candidates 
stood on these various questions, which was frustrating to me as someone who, who wanted to really know what the differences were. Well, it was frustrating to me, too. And then, of course, you had this scandal of several of the people um, that were um, that get answered that were chosen to ask questions are Democratic uh, operatives. Uh, the Brigadier General is part of Clinton's campaign, uh, and uh, the girl from Texas that asked the question has another uh, about abortion has another um, YouTube on her website with a John Edwards T-shirt on. Right. Uh, and you know, it's not as if it would have taken a great deal of detective work on the part of the uh, CNN uh, producers to figure out who these people were. Um, have they not heard of Google? Yeah, I know. I think a few of us have uh, probably got more information than uh, they were able to find or were willing to find. Well, Dr. Land, uh, also, uh, I thought Mike Huckabee did a great job. He just proves himself uh, to be just entertaining, really, to listen to, and also just a very articulate person and certainly a person that understands uh, the faith. Uh, And I just want to know from you how important you think that is, because I know you've encouraged Mitt Romney to come out and basically define how his Mormonism would define his presidency. But what about Huckabee? Is this helpful to him? I know it is in certain areas, but what about on the the two coasts, east and west? Well, you know, I, first of all, I thought Mike did a fine job. He's he's very articulate. He's um, he obviously thinks quickly on his feet, and um, uh, I thought gave some some superb answers uh, to the questions that were directed to him. Um, I was shocked, however. I just must tell you, I was shocked when uh, they showed uh, uh, a 30-second clip from each campaign that each campaign itself um, really basically burned. submitted. Right. Yeah, and um, Mike said, "Mike Huckabee, Christian leader," and I don't think I've ever seen a campaign commercial like that before. Is that appropriate? Well, I think it's dangerous. And let me tell you why I think it's dangerous. I mean, you know, obviously Mike's a smart guy. He must have thought through this. But I think it's dangerous, and here's why. Uh, It's great in Iowa, but what's going to happen now is that when people want to ask Mike about whether he believes Adam and Eve are real people or whether he believes in creation or whether he believes there's salvation outside of uh, Jesus, um, when reporters ask him that, he can't say, well, you know, I think that's really an inappropriate question for a presidential campaign. Uh, I'm not here to talk about my faith. I'm here to talk about my record. I'm here to talk about my policy views. If you want to know what my faith believes about these issues, call Nashville. Uh, he can't do that now because he has he has openly made Christianity part of his campaign. Now, I'm told by a reporter that he said, well, I'm just going to use this in Iowa. I'm not going to use it in New Hampshire. Well, well, there's something called television. Well, I've got news for him. There've already been a, a million, one million downloads of that that, that commercial on YouTube. Um, so, you know, if I if I were advising Mike, uh, or if I were advising Mitt, which I'm not advising either one of them, mm-hmm. but if I were, I would say to them that that they should do what Kennedy did. What Kennedy did in his in that famous speech he gave in Houston in 1960 was he said, you know, what I, what church I choose to attend should matter only to me. It's what kind of America I believe in that should matter to you. I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I'm the Democratic Party's candidate for president. And I will be guided by my conscience in, in deciding what's best in the best of the national interest. 
I'm not going to deny my faith, but I'm not going to talk about my faith either in this campaign. That's not appropriate for a presidential campaign, basically what Kennedy was saying. And if I were running for president, I think that's what I would do. Because otherwise, you're going to get caught up. I, I don't know if you saw on O'Reilly, when, when, when Mike was on O'Reilly, all, all O'Reilly wanted to talk about was whether Mike believed in a literal Adam and a literal Eve. Well, you know... It's sort of a diversion from the issues. Well, that's important when you're looking for a pastor. But when you're looking for a president, there are other issues that need to be discussed. And the media being what it is, they will, they will try to sidetrack to Mike's faith, and they're going. And, and I think Mike has opened the door to this with this, with this, um, with this campaign ad. And I, I, I doubt the wisdom of that. Dr. Land, I want to ask you one more question, if you've got a moment. I know you're traveling. Sure. Uh, there's also some news out there, and of course, this came out right before the debate about Rudy Giuliani's uh, dirty trick, uh, whatever he calls it, a dirty trick. But what it really was was. Uh, the financing of his security detail uh, during his uh, mayoral tenure uh, when he was basically conducting an affair. Uh, and he says that uh, this was all paid for appropriately. But in a sense, it points up the fact that for several years during that time as a public official, he was conducting an affair. Does that hurt him? It should. Uh, whether it does or not, I don't know. But I believe it should, uh, as you've heard me say on numerous occasions, character is the most important issue when you're deciding on a presidential candidate and when you're deciding on a president. And, um, you know, Harry Truman once said that a man, he said, I wouldn't knowingly hire a man to work for me who cheated on his wife. And when he was asked why, he said, well, if a man will lie to his wife, he'll lie to me. And if he'll break his marital oath, he'll break his oath of office. And, you know, when people say to me, I, as you know, I have said uh, publicly that I, as a matter of conscience, could not vote for Rudy Giuliani in a general election. If I had a choice between Rudy Giuliani and Hillary Clinton, I could not vote. I cannot vote for a pro-choice candidate. And some of my conservative friends have said, well, Richard, Rudy has said that he would appoint strict constructionists. He's promised. He would only appoint strict construction. Yeah, he promised. And I said, well, yeah, and he promised two previous wives that he would love, honor, and cherish until death us do part. And he broke that vow to both of them. Mm. Dr. Richard Land, thank you so much for weighing in. We hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we appreciate you being with us today. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think that's a very good point. Character does count, and uh, when you're looking at candidates, think about it. Next up, we'll talk about the blasphemous teddy bear with Frank Gaffney. You heard the discussions. Because we've talked about a lot of the problems, but we want to transition now to practical solutions. And the solutions. Check their content, you check their conduct, and you check their converts. Now hear it all again, anytime. KCBI's Town Hall Meeting, The Battle for Truth, Beware of False Prophets. Nobody likes controversy, and yet there's some things worth fighting for. This exclusive presentation is available in a two-CD set. It makes a great resource for you, a friend, even a church library. And I think what we need to do is we need to preach the truth. To order, call anytime, 817-299-4247 and follow the prompts. I have no problem with people teaching that God wants to bless them. The battle for truth. But when it just comes to that one issue right there, you know, it's either put up or shut up. 
It's a month-long focus here on CRN, the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. The court ruled that Gillian Gibbons was guilty under Article 125 of offending the faith of Muslims in Sudan. They sentenced her to 15 days prison and deportation from the country. Of course, Gillian Gibbons is a British teacher teaching in the Sudan, and she's been convicted of inciting religious hatred for letting her pupils name a teddy bear Muhammad. That was correspondent Alfred de de Montesquieu, and uh, he also reports that Gibbons will be expelled from the Sudan as soon as she finishes serving this 15-day sentence. Pretty grisly jail uh, situation there, from what I understand. Uh, But uh, this reporter says that Gibbons got a lighter sentence than the harsh maximum penalty that could have been imposed. Her employer, Robert Boulos at the Unity High School, said this was a fair verdict and pointed out it was much better than the 40 lashes, six-month prison, and fine that she could have faced. Of course, they're calling it a high school, but this was seven-year-olds, and apparently she brought this teddy bear. They were studying bears. And uh, they were going to have a teddy bear, and the kids got to choose the name. And one seven-year-old was named Muhammad, and he wanted the bear named after him. For this, uh, she is being jailed, and there are a lot of uh, radical Muslims demonstrating and uh, pretty angry. In London, a spokesman for the Muslim Public Affairs Committee, supposedly a fairly moderate group, Raza Nadim, said on Sky News that he objects to the Muslim leaders who have called for this harsher sentence for her, and he says they should have objected to the severity of her uh, sentence earlier. I'm shocked, uh, first of all, at many things, at how the local police were allowed to use excessive force uh, on Ms. Gibbons, how the Sudanese government didn't react, and now how the hypocritical so-called Muslim leaders in Sudan said nothing about this. So this is the story of the blasphemous teddy bear, and uh, Time magazine says it probably seemed like the most innocent of ideas to the newly arrived teacher from England still settling into life in the Sudanese capital of Khartoum when she asked her class of six- and seven-year-olds to dress up and name this teddy bear and keep a diary of its outings. She hoped it would provide material for projects for the rest of the year, and it might have, except for the name uh, the children chose for the bear. The name is Mohammed. Now, you have to wonder why the Sudanese government, even with all the uh, American and British ambassadors weighing down on them, is allowing this sentence to go forward. Perhaps you've got an idea about that. Do you think uh, that uh, this is such a radical government that they agree with this, or they're trying to appease the radicals in the country? There are folks uh, actually calling for her head. She's got to have a lot of protection when she was moved uh, to the jail, and when she gets out, she'll need a lot as she leaves the country. Uh, She'll be much safer when she gets out of the country. But if you've got an opinion on this absurd story, give us a call, 800-881-9270. Also, we're still talking about the debate, and if you have uh, any uh, impressions of the candidates and the debate and how they did, or even uh, if we should have a debate like that, also give us a call, 800-881-9270. And what about Rudy Giuliani and uh, the fact that uh, he has now got a skeleton, basically, in his closet? I guess it's been really public, uh, but uh, he has now had it brought up again against him, of course, right before the debate, and that's kind of typical. But uh, basically, he's had some scrutiny over... Uh, the fact that uh, he had such a, an expense, he had an expense for security detail, 
And uh, part of this had to do when he was visiting and spending time with uh, his, I guess you'd call it mistress, during his mayoral tenure. Uh, Of course, the bills were spread across different departments in City Hall, but he says ultimately paid for by the police department, who was supposed to pay for it. And uh, so he says, you know, in a sense, there was nothing uh, economically uh, out of the ordinary or illegal that was done. But, you know, barring that, uh, just the idea that uh, there in New York City, as he was leading the city, the taxpayers were basically paying uh, to protect him as he was going off uh, cheating on his wife. So do you have any opinions on that? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Also, uh, when we look at the debate, you know, we talked with Dr. Land about whether or not the debate was fair. Was it conducted fairly? A lot of people have been saying that uh, it really wasn't and that CNN and YouTube should have uh, been able to discern that there were actually some folks that were associated with campaigns who uh, who were asking the questions. And is that fair? Well, um, uh, Larry, let's go to that, uh, that clip from CNN where Anderson Cooper made his mea culpa over this gay general. Remember that? He was actually in the audience. Turns out that he was at least signed on to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Bill Bennett earlier mentioned that he was getting some reports from uh, friends of his on the internet that uh, Brigadier General Keith Kerr, who asked a question about gays in the military during this debate, uh, was on a steering committee for uh, Senator Hillary Clinton. Uh, that was certainly something unknown to us, and had we known that, would have been uh, disclosed by us. Uh, it turns out we have just looked at it. Apparently there was a press release from some six months ago, Hillary Clinton uh, office uh, saying that he had been named to some steering committee. We don't know if he's still on it. We're trying to find out that information. But certainly had we had that information, uh, we would have uh, acknowledged that uh, in, uh, in using his question if we had used it at all. I find it amazing that they actually took the step of inviting him to be there live in the audience. Uh, and then this is uh, turning around on them uh, and uh, showing that they didn't do all of their homework. Let's go now to line two and talk to David. David is in Hearst. Hi, David. Thanks for calling. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to say I really like the idea of the YouTube debate and that it gave uh, ordinary citizens an opportunity to uh, ask the candidates the questions, but I didn't like the way particularly it was carried out. Um, first of all, because I didn't get to hear all the candidates' positions. Right. Um, I'm really interested in Ron Paul and like some of the positions he supports. And when the man with the Bible asked the question, do you believe this book, well, I was I, I was glad they got a few candidates in, but I really would have liked to heard what say Ron Paul, Fred Thompson thought about that. Yeah, it's it almost seems not fair that you only get to hear some answers, and Anderson Cooper decides who you know who this goes to. So sometimes I thought he was good to the candidates and giving them something that played to their strength. For instance, he threw that question to uh, Huckabee, and you know Huckabee hit it out of the park. But uh, other times, it was a very frustrating experience. I agree with you. Let's go now uh, to Tom in Fort Worth. We are taking your calls on the debate uh, on Rudy Giuliani and his uh, security detail during his affair, during his mayorship, and uh, other things that you'd like to weigh in on. Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Tom's in Fort Worth. Hi, Tom. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call, Penny. Well, it really wasn't about Giuliani. It was about Ms. Givens over there in the Sudan. And, um, yes, but, you know, I want to hear about your opinion again, on that. Um, this is uh, misinformation. These people that are riding over there and calling for her head are following their religion to the letter. And, and it's, it's so frustrating that uh, 
we don't see that the Koran, these people take the Koran literally. They're just like, you know, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I believe every word of that Bible is God-inspired. And and it, it just amazes me that even someone can come up and say that the religion is peaceful. It's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this uh, is exactly why we invited Frank Gaffney on today, yeah, because I'm he's an expert, but we haven't, we, we, we're missing him. Somehow we're not oh. getting him. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, you, go, you, go, you continue, because I think you're giving us sort of the same insight that he would have given. Well, that's why I say, when you take the Koran literally, and, and it, you don't have to know Arabic to understand it, because they prove it out all around the world. Every, every Islamist and jihadist follows the English translation to the letter. And um, what they're doing is exactly what they're told to do. Someone who apostates the faith, uh, Sir 489, says, kill them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, that's a, that's pretty, that's a command. Well, uh, you know, they're saying, some of the uh, folks in power there in the Sudan are saying, well, she hasn't gotten the worst sentence she could have. She, uh, I guess she got out of the 40 lashes, which is really caning, is what they do there, and it's very, very painful. And uh, so, you know, the question I have is why do the leaders of Sudan have to follow these radicals? Why do they have to bow to this absolutely unfair demand on the part of these folks? Well, because they're following the religion to the letter. There's two houses in Islam, Dalar Harb and Dalar Islam. Dalar Harb is, is uh, the house of war, and that means anybody who's an infidel, you go after them, regardless. This is, this is clear. This is not, it's, it's not rocket science. Well, we're learning something about Islam as if we uh, hadn't already learned it in many other ways, including 9-11. Tom, thank yeah. you so much okay, for thanks. your call. We appreciate it. And again, uh, I just want to go back to the story about Rudy Giuliani because I think it's something we need to think about and talk about. Um, basically, this is a report posted on Politico.com, which said that at the time when Rudy Giuliani was beginning an extramarital relationship with Judith Nathan, who is now his current wife, uh, his third wife, he billed obscure city agencies thousands of dollars for his police security detail, covering his trips to visit Nathan. And uh, turns out that those agencies all ended up billing the police department, which is the appropriate area, I guess, for security. But still... Uh, he's insisting everything was done in the open, honestly, honorably, and above board. Uh, that's what he says about it. And he has, has always prided himself at being honest and saying that he's not a saint. And he certainly isn't. But uh, I guess the question I have is uh, whether or not this should weigh into people's decision about whether or not to support him uh, to run the most powerful nation in the world, the leader of the free world and a nation uh, that goes around the world imposing, uh, trying to spread freedom, uh, spread democracy around the world. Does he have the moral authority uh, to lead such a country? It's something to think about. And I think as uh, folks look at debates like we had this week and uh, look at the news and continue to try to uh, decide who to come down on, those are issues that are very important. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next up, uh, we're going to talk about a true hero, and that is Congressman Henry Hyde. Certainly not a perfect person. None of us is perfect, but he's a man who spent his 32 years in power fighting for the good, fighting for freedom, and most of all, fighting for human dignity and the sanctity of human life. Uh, we are going to hear from him as he debated, as he gave a floor speech in the House of Representatives. Uh, trying to convince his colleagues to overturn President Clinton's 
third veto of the partial birth, uh, partial birth abortion ban. So we'll have that right after this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. We should overturn Roe v. Wade and return these issues to the states. I would welcome a circumstance where there was such a consensus in this country that we said we don't want to have abortion in this country at all, period. That would be wonderful. I'd be delighted. Is, would you sign I'd be that deli- bill? I'm, let me say it. I'd be delighted to sign that bill. But that's not where we are. That's not where America is today. Where America is is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade and return to the states that authority. But if the, if the Congress got there, we had that kind of consensus in that country, terrific. Well, that's Mitt Romney at the debate. And, of course, uh, the scenario that was presented was uh, would he sign a national ban on abortions uh, if Roe versus Wade were overturned? And he said, well, we're not there. It's very interesting, though, because abortions have gone down. And uh, we see that from a new uh, CDC report. And, uh, of course, more Americans now, slightly more, are pro-life than pro-choice. So it seems the tide is turning in public opinion. Maybe we'll come to that point someday. Well, a person who would be in no small way responsible for that is uh, Congressman Henry Hyde from Illinois. He died at age 83 yesterday, and uh, he gave so many wonderful and persuasive speeches, and he wasn't afraid uh, to lay it out, uh, but in a very gentlemanly way to his colleagues. He did this in 2000 uh, in a floor speech in which President Clinton, for the third time, had uh, actually vetoed the ban on partial birth abortion. And uh, let's go now and hear that speech. I ask unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks. Without objection. And I also beg the indulgence of my colleagues not to ask me to yield because I cannot and will not, and I would appreciate the courtesy. I also want to say briefly that those who have charged us with politics, invidious politics, for delaying this ought to understand that Americans can't believe this practice exists. And it has taken months to educate the American people. And it'll take many more months to educate them as to the nature and extent of this horrible practice. That is one reason it has taken so long. Now, the law exists to protect the weak from the strong. That's why we're here. Mr. Speaker, in his classic novel, Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky has his murderous protagonist, Raskolnikov, say, man can get used to anything, the beast. That we're even debating this issue, that we have to argue about the legality of an abortionist plunging a pair of scissors into the back of the tiny neck of a little child whose trunk arms and legs have already been delivered, and then suctioning out his brains only confirms Dostoevsky's harsh truth. We were told in committee by an attending nurse that the little arms and legs stop flailing and suddenly stiffen as the scissors is plunged in. People who say, I feel your pain, aren't referring to that little infant. What kind of people have we become that this procedure is even a matter for debate? Can't we draw the line at torture and baby torture at that If we can't, what's become of us? We're all incensed about ethnic cleansing. What about infant cleansing? There's no argument here about when human life begins. The child who's destroyed is unmistakably alive, unmistakably human, and unmistakably 
brutally destroyed. The justification for abortion has always been the claim that a woman can do with her own body what she will. Well, if you still believe that this four-fifths delivered little baby is a part of the woman's body, then I'm afraid your ignorance is invincible. I finally figured out why supporters of abortion on demand fight this infanticide ban tooth and claw. Because for the first time since Roe v. Wade, the focus is on the baby. Not the mother, not the woman, but the baby. And the harm that abortion inflicts on an unborn child, or in this instance, a four-fifths born child. That child, whom the advocates of abortion on demand have done everything in their power to make us ignore, to dehumanize, is as much a bearer of human rights as any member of this house. To deny those rights is more than a betrayal of a powerless individual. It betrays the central promise of America that there is in this land justice for all. The supporters of abortion on demand have exercised an amazing capacity for self-deception by detaching themselves from any sympathy whatsoever for the unborn child. And in doing so, they separate themselves from the instinct for justice that gave birth to this country. The president reacting angrily to this challenge to his veto claims not to understand why the morality of those who support a ban on partial birth abortions is superior to the morality of compassion that he insists informed his decision to reject Congress's ban on what Senator Moynihan has said, and I quote, is too close to infanticide, close quote. Well, let me explain, Mr. President. There's no moral, nor for that matter, medical justification for this barbaric assault on a partially born infant. Dr. Pamela Smith, Director of Medical Education in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Chicago's Mount Sinai Hospital, testified to that, as have many other doctors. C. Everett Koop, Dr. C. Everett Koop, the last credible Surgeon General that we had, was interviewed by the American Medical Association on August 19th, and he was asked, said, President Clinton just vetoed a bill to par on partial uh, birth abortions. In so doing, he cited several cases in which women were told these procedures were necessary to preserve their health and their ability to have future pregnancies. How would you characterize the claims being made in favor of the medical need for this procedure? Quoting Dr. Koop, I believe that Mr. Clinton was misled by his medical advisors on what is fact and what is fiction in reference to late-term abortions. Question, in your practice as a pediatric surgeon, have you ever treated children with any of the disabilities cited in this debate? Have you operated on children born with organs outside of their bodies? Answer, oh yes, indeed. I've done that many times. The prognosis is good. There are two common ways that children are born with organs outside of their body. One is an omphalocele, where the organs are out but still contained in the sac composed of the tissues of the umbilical cord. I have been repairing these since 1946. The other is when the sac is ruptured. That makes it a little more difficult. I don't know what the national mortality would be, but certainly more than half of those babies survive after surgery. Every once in a while you have other peculiar things, such as the chest, 
being wide open and the heart being outside the body. And I have even replaced hearts back in the body and had children grow to adulthood. Question, and live normal lives? Answer, living normal lives, in fact, the first child I ever did with a huge omphalocele, um, much bigger than her head, went on to develop well and become the head nurse in my intensive care unit many years later. The abortionist who is a principal perpetrator of these atrocities, Dr. Martin Haskell, has conceded that at least 80% of the partial birth abortions he performs are entirely elective. 80% are elective. And he admits to over a thousand of these abortions, and that's some years ago. We're told about some extreme cases of malformed babies as though life is only for the privileged, the planned, and the perfect. Dr. James McMahon, the late Dr. James McMahon, listed nine such abortions he performed because the baby had a cleft lip. Many other physicians who care both about the mother and the unborn child have made it clear this is never a medical necessity, but it is a convenience for the abortionist. It's a convenience for those who choose to abort late in pregnancy when it becomes difficult to dismember the unborn child in the womb. Oh, the president claims he wants to solve a problem by adding a health exception to the partial birth abortion ban. That is spurious as anyone who has spent 10 minutes studying the federal law understands health exceptions are so broadly construed by the court, not what we write, by the court, as to make any ban utterly meaningless. If there is one consistent commitment that has su survived the twists and the turns of policy during this administration, it is an unshakable commitment to a legal regime of abortion on demand. Nothing is or will be done to make abortion rare. No legislative or regulatory act will be allowed to impede the most permissive abortion license in the democratic world. President would do us all a favor and make a modest contribution to the health of our democratic process if he would simply concede this obvious fact. In his memoirs, Dwight Eisenhower wrote about the loss of 1.2 million lives in World War II. And he said the loss of lives that might have otherwise been creatively lived scars the mind of the civilized world. Mr. Speaker, our souls have been scarred by one and a half million abortions every year in this country. Our souls have so much scar tissue there isn't room for any more. And say, what do we mean by human dignity? if we subject innocent children to brutal execution when they're almost born. We all hope and pray for death with dignity. Tell me what's dignified about a death caused by having a scissor stabbed into your neck so your brains can be sucked out. We've had long and bitter debates in this house about assault weapons. Those scissors and that suction machine are assault weapons worse than any AK-47. You might miss with an AK-47. The doctor never misses with his assault weapon, I can assure you. It isn't just the babies that are dying for the lethal sin of being unwanted or being handicapped or malformed. We are dying, and not from the darkness, but from the cold, the coldness of self brutalization that chills our sensibilities, deadens our conscience, and allows us to think of this unspeakable act as an act of compassion. If you vote to uphold this veto, 
If you vote to maintain the legality of a procedure that is revolting even to the most hardened heart, then please don't ever use the word compassion again. The passion and compassion in the heart of Henry Hyde. You heard the discussions. Because we've talked about a lot of the problems, but we want to transition now to practical solutions. And the solutions. Check their content, you check their conduct, and you check their converts. Now hear it all again, anytime. KCBI's Town Hall Meeting, The Battle for Truth, Beware of False Prophets. Nobody likes controversy, and yet there's some things worth fighting for. This exclusive presentation is available in a two-CD set. It makes a great resource for you, a friend, even a church library. And I think what we need to do is we need to preach the truth. To order, call anytime, 817-299-4247, and follow the prompts. I have no problem with people teaching that God wants to bless them. The battle for truth. But when it just comes to that one issue right there, you know, it's either put up or shut up. It's a month-long focus here on CRN, the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. We're honoring uh, the career and the contributions of Congressman Henry Hyde of Illinois, 32 years in Congress. Uh, He died yesterday at age 83. He was a pro-life champion, and uh, early in his political career, he introduced an amendment to prevent the federal funding of abortion. It was called the Hyde Amendment. Uh, It was upheld by the courts, and then the Congress has passed it every year. And how many babies have been saved because of the Hyde Amendment? He also led the battle to, of course, pass the ban on partial birth abortion. He authored the Mexico City policy, which prohibits federal money from being used to support abortions abroad. Uh, He helped President Reagan in standing up to the Soviet Union, and uh, he led the impeachment of President Clinton. With us now uh, to weigh in on all the things we've been talking about today, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Hi, Dr. Johnson. Hello, Penna. Sorry I'm not there today, but I just listened to this speech you played from Henry Hyde. We're we're going to finish it up in just a minute. Well, listen, I was just thinking of William Wilberforce and what he did in England to outlaw slavery, and it was incremental early on. And I'm, I'm sad that uh, Congressman Hyde didn't get to see the end of abortion in America, but what he did with the Hyde Amendment, what he did with the Mexico City policy to limit abortion and especially to eliminate the federal funding of abortion, it was a great thing. And, you know, Jesus said we're to be salt and to be light, and I think Congressman Hyde really did show the way. He really did, and he was an inspiration to others. I've noticed some of the comments of other colleagues of his, for instance, Chris Smith, who's also a, a pro-life leader, just so appreciated also the way he would reach across the aisle in a very, as we heard, strong and persuasive manner, uh, but also a very gentlemanly manner. And that, to me, is a true statesman, isn't it? Well, it really is, and uh, I'm hopeful. We need to be praying that more congressmen, more senators will stand up for the sanctity of human life. Now, Penna, I want to hear the rest of that speech, so I'm going to go, but I want to remind the listeners that next week we're going to have Pat Buchanan to talk about illegal immigration and the culture war, and then also we'll have Ted Baer and Brent Bozell 
to talk about this new movie, The Golden Compass. They don't want to miss that next week. We will all look forward to that. It's very important to inform people on uh, what's coming out uh, in the theaters, especially during this holiday uh, season. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for, for calling in today. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. Okay, uh, let's go back to Henry Hyde. Of course, he's trying to convince his colleagues here to override President Clinton's veto of the partial birth abortion ban. And it's very interesting that they couldn't even do that. But I think it's even more interesting that a Clinton, President Clinton, uh, couldn't even sign such a ban. Let's go back to Henry Hyde. A word about anesthesia. Advocates of partial birth abortions tried to tell us the baby doesn't feel pain. The mother's anesthesia is transmitted to the baby. We took testimony from five of the country's top anesthesiologists, and they said this impossible. That result would take so much anesthesia, it would kill the mother. By upholding this tragic veto, you join the network of complicity in supporting what is essentially a crime against humanity. For that little almost born infant struggling to live is a member of the human family. And partial birth abortion is a lethal assault against the very idea of human rights and destroys, along with a defenseless little baby, the moral foundation of our democracy. Because democracy isn't, after all, a mere process. It assigns fundamental rights and values to each human being, the first of which is the inalienable right to life. One of the great errors of modern politics is our foolish attempt to separate our private consciences from our public acts, and it can't be done. At the end of the 20th century is the crowning achievement of our democracy to treat the weak, the powerless, the unwanted as things to be disposed of. If so, we haven't elevated justice. We've disgraced it. This isn't a debate about sectarian religious doctrine nor about policy options. This is a debate about our understanding of human dignity. What does it mean to be human? Our moment in history is marked by a mortal conflict between a culture of death and a culture of life. And today, here and now, we must choose sides. I'm not the least embarrassed to say that I believe one day each of us will be called upon to render an account for what we've done and, maybe more importantly, what we failed to do in our lifetime. And while I believe in a merciful God, I believe in a just God. And I would be terrified at the thought of having to explain at the final judgment why I stood unmoved while Herod's slaughter of the innocents was being reenacted here in my own country. This debate has been about an unspeakable horror And while the details are graphic and grisly, it has been helpful for all of us to recognize the full brutality of what goes on in America's abortuaries day in and day out, week after week, year after year. We're not talking about abstractions here. We're talking about life and death at their most elemental. And we ought to face the truth of what we oppose or support, stripped of all euphemisms. And the queen of all euphemisms is choice, as though you're choosing vanilla and chocolate instead of a dead baby or a live baby. Now, we've talked so much about the grotesque. Permit me a word about beauty. We all have our own images of the beautiful, the face of a loved one, a dawn, a sunset, the evening star. I believe nothing in this world of wonders is more beautiful than the innocence of a child. Do you know what a child is? She's an opportunity for love. 
and a handicapped child is an even greater opportunity for love. Mr. Speaker, we risk our souls, we risk our humanity when we trifle with that innocence or demean it or brutalize it. We need more caring and less killing. Let the innocence of the unborn have the last word in this debate. Let their innocence appeal to what President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. Let our votes prove Raskolnikov is wrong. There is something we will never get used to. Make it clear once again, there is justice for all, even for the tiniest, most defenseless in this our land. And I yield back the balance Mr. of my Chairman. time. These remarks remind me that uh, every election, uh, we really need to decide what kind of nation we are. And I think this next election, we will certainly be doing that. Uh, some folks really weighing in today on Henry Hyde, who died yesterday at 83, pro-life champion Doug Johnson of the National Right to Life Committee, said he put the pro-life movement on the map. Phyllis Schlafly says he was probably the leading pro-life advocate in the country. And uh, President Bush uh, said he was a gallant champion of the weak and forgotten. But I love what Connie Mackey, who is a lobbyist for the Family Research Council uh, Action, and she's worked in the pro-life movement her whole career. She's uh, semi-retired now. But she said uh, that, you know, he was really the greatest modern statesman in America. She said, today I bid farewell to my good friend. And today the unborn bid welcome to their chief defender. Henry Hyde, someone we honor, someone we seek to elect more of in our government. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend. been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.